There's a story of two men who were out in the countryside delivering their harvest from one village to the next. And as they were walking through the woods, they saw an elderly, elderly lady sitting by the river who seemed upset. And so as they approached her, they asked, uh, what's going on? Why are you upset? And she said, well, I can't get across the river. The bridge is out and I need some help. And so the first gentleman offered, do you mind if we help you across the river? And so they pick her up and they put her in between themselves and they walk her across the river. They sit her down. She goes her way and the two men go the other. As they're walking, they get about a mile in and the second man looks at the first man and begins to kind of have this attitude of complaining. He says, look at my clothes. Now they're so dirty and my back is beginning to stiffen up all because we had to carry this silly lady across the river. The first guy just kind of looked over at him and kind of smirked and put his head back down and they continued walking. They went about four more miles and got to a place where the second guy has been consistently just complaining and griping. And now he's saying, look, I can't go any further. My back hurts. My clothes are wet. I'm nasty. I'm a mess. All because we carried this lady across the river. The first guy looks at the second guy and asks, have you thought the reason why I haven't been complaining? Have you considered why I haven't been griping or saying anything? And the guy looked at him kind of confused and he said, you see, I dropped that lady off five miles ago, but for the past five miles, you've still been carrying her. Obviously, he wasn't implying that he was carrying this lady physically, but he was implying that he dropped this lady off five miles ago. And for the last five miles in his head, he's literally been still carrying her. Every single one of us in our lives, we've carried something far longer than we should. We've carried something past the actual time where it took place. And so today, as we end our summer baggage series, I want to talk to you about the baggage of bitterness, the baggage of bitterness. Now, I'm going to just go ahead and give you a heads up. We are not going to be warming up. Uh, we are going to be jumping headfirst, dive in. This may be a little bit heavy. This may be a little bit challenging. I pray that God uses it in a mighty way to impact our lives. And so Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, it says this, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to study your word. God, I ask that you meet us here today. I ask that you speak to our hearts. I ask that, that you open our hearts, open our minds, soften our hearts so that we can hear from you, Lord. I pray that you challenge us today, that you transform our lives, that we deal with the aspect of bitterness that, that so many of us carry, that so many of us have in our hearts. Lord, speak to us today in a loving, convicting, and graceful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to share a few things with you as we get ready to jump in. The first one I'd have you jot down is this. Again, we're jumping right in. Bitterness seems justifiable. Bitterness seems justifiable. By definition, the word bitterness means anger or disappointment because of being treated unfairly and or resentment. So, so you're angry or you're disappointed because something has been done to you that was wrong. And now you have resentment. So that, that is bitterness. And by definition, I don't know about you, but it seems very justifiable to me. 
The fact that someone has done something to you and it's wrong and now you want to be bitter because of it, that seems pretty accurate. It seems like the right response. It seems like the thing that you should do, right? But no, I know that the fact that someone has wronged you is true. Yes, it is. I know that the fact that that wrong thing has hurt you. It's true. Yes, I know that that wrong thing that has hurt you has damaged you. It's true. Yes, but it still does not qualify us or quantify us for us to be bitter. It's not acceptable in the eyes of God. Ephesians chapter 4, I love, again, we we talked about this two weeks ago, like this problem and solution with comparison and contentment. And and here we are, the same thing again. We have a problem of bitterness. And then here we go, God's word. It constantly gives us a solution to some of the problems. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32, it says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. He says, get rid of all bitterness and get rid of all slander, get rid of all harsh words. So all of these things that are over here, I want you to get rid of them. And instead, I want you to go somewhere else. And that somewhere else is forgiveness. And so what we've got to do is rewrite the narrative to say, no, 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 bitterness isn't justifiable. Forgiveness is justifiable. Because when you read this passage and you understand the fact that Jesus Jesus has forgiven you over and over and over and over again. And you know the wrong things that you've done. You know the decisions that you've made. You know the lifestyle that you've lived. You know all the things that he's forgiven you for. And it says because of God sending his son, the price that was paid, the forgiveness that he has offered you, that is what we should offer others. And so if we would remind ourselves when we get ready to, to get this, this uh, when this, this bitterness begins to, to kind of fester in our heart because of a wrongdoing that was absolutely wrong. Let's think forgiveness instead of bitterness. He says, no, no, no. Instead, not bitterness, not slander, not evil, evil behavior, not harsh words. Instead, I want you to focus on forgiveness. And so that's kind of the surface level, right? Okay, something has, has happened in your life where someone has, has done you wrong. Someone has, has done something to you. Maybe it was physically, maybe it was emotionally, maybe it was mentally, whatever it may be. Like there has been a wrongdoing that was absolutely wrong in the eyes of a human and in the eyes of God. It has been done to you. And your byproduct of that or your response to that is that you want to be bitter. All right. So that's kind of, that's it at the surface. All right. So let, let's go a little bit deeper. Let, let's look up under the surface and kind of ask ourselves, why do I want to be bitter? Like, why is my response, because of a wrongdoing that has happened to me from someone else, why is my response to be bitter? And I believe that the answer to that question varies uh, among individuals, but I believe a very common one, very, uh, 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 a common theme or a common response, one that I see that almost, in my opinion, uh, could essentially be applied to, to every situation, is this. We want justice right? We want them to pay for what they did. That, that is typically the underlying issue is like, okay, you did something to me. I'm going to be bitter because I want you to pay for what you did. I want you to suffer consequences like I'm suffering consequences. I want you to deal with the same things that I'm having to deal with. And so therefore, I'm going to be bitter towards you because I want you to face justice. I want you to pay for what you did. Like, think about that for a moment. Think about, and and, and that can be in legal issues. It can be even in non-legal issues. 
But like from this legal perspective, think about like if something happens tragically in a family and the family's going to court, they're in, you know, in, uh, on trial, the whole thing's taking place. Like obviously the family wants to change the whole situation, but they know they can't change what has happened. And so they do want to change and impact what happens in the future. And one of the things that they want, one of the heartfelt emotions that is filling their lives as they stand and wait tr- the trial, or as they're standing in the courtroom, is they want justice. They want that person to face the consequences of the action that has taken place. And although if justice is served, it doesn't change the situation. It provides a sense of peace. It provides a sense of comfort. It provides a sense of closure because justice was served. And I'll just tell you, maybe you're thinking, well, maybe we should. There is nothing wrong with wanting justice, right? Like our God is just. Our God is love, but oftentimes we separate those to where we think God is just some mean, fierce judge or God is some loving father. Like, no, no, no. Justice is inundated and it's, and it's combined as, as a character of God as love. And so, so desiring and seeking and wanting justice for someone who has done something wrong, who has done something against God, who has done something against another person is not wrong. It's not unbiblical. As long as... We go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and our heart essentially is filled with forgiveness. When you want justice just because you're mad, just because you want somebody to face it, like that, that's not the heart of God. God wants to serve justice in the most loving way to where he can get their attention to bring them closer to him. That's the justice that God serves. He disciplines those that he loves. And so, so to want justice, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's what I want you to hear, all right? As I think about this aspect of of I'm bitter because I want them to face the consequences. I want to repay them. I want to share something with you from God's word that I believe wholeheartedly. If you will allow this to sink in, if you will think and truly understand the weight of this, it will free you from that. It will free you from thinking that you are the one who has to figure out what are my actions, what choices, what response do I have that will lead them to have to face some type of repayment. All right. And here it is. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and 18 and 19. It says this. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that for the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And there's two principles, there's two concepts in here. And I feel like oftentimes we focus on the first one. The first one is a command. It's a command from God for you and I not to repay evil with evil, not to try to take vengeance, not to try to, you know, give justice on our own, although that's what we want. That's the command. But listen, here's the freeing part. It's the promise. And the promise says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And again, this is not, we're not reading this in like some, I'm going to pay you back. Like some evil laughter, like where the Lord's like, oh yeah, baby, I can't wait. Like, no, 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 that's not the heart of God. That's not the character of God. But he's saying, listen, everybody who commits a sin is going to have to face payment. And I'm going to be the one who judges them. I came, I sent my son Jesus for the very first time to earth as a savior. And the next time I'm sending him as a judge. Like we get to know that the things that have happened to us, the wrongdoing that has been done to us, we don't have to worry about payment because the Lord is going to take care of that. And I don't know about you, but it frees me 
And it frees me from having to worry about or focus on what do I got to do to give this person justice? What do I got to do to face repayment and make this person pay for the consequences? I can take my mental focus and energy off of that and put it on. How can I love them? How can I forgive them? How can I cover them in grace? How can I give them mercy? Like I can focus on the things of Christ rather than this vengeance that I want. I love what John Piper says, and and I was kind of reading and researching and looking at commentaries and as I was preparing for this, and I I always, I don't always do it, but I do my very best to give credit where credit is due, so I didn't make this up, but John Piper says this. He says, listen, we often want people to, we want to be the ones who who give vengeance. We want to be the ones who, who make people pay, but here's the deal. The payment for their sins, the payment for what has been done to you is going to be paid for in one of two places and you cannot add or take away from either one of these two places. The first one is the cross. When that person understands, I have done this person wrong. I have hurt this person. I have damaged this person. I have sinned against this person. I must repent. And they repent and they ask for forgiveness. Guess what? That repentance, that sin, it's been paid for at the foot of the cross. And that should be our hearts, that people go and their sins are paid for right there. The other place where payment is taking place, where their sins are being paid for, is in hell forever. A repentant heart is paid for on the cross. An unrepentant heart is paid for in eternity in hell. And again, our hearts, our desires as Christians, as followers of Christ, if you say you are one, your heart, no matter what has been wrong, no matter what has been done to you, whether it's the most tragic and God-awful, inhumane thing you can think of, our hearts, and we need help with this, should be that people go to the foot of the cross and their sins are paid for right there. That should be the vengeance that we desire as believers. And I'm telling you, when we have something that is done to us, that hurts us, that is done to our kids or our family or our spouse or whatever it may be, bitterness seems so justifiable, but it's not. It's not. It's not justified. Throughout Scripture, and I can share a few more passages and verses with you, the Lord says, no, 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 no bitterness. Get rid of it. Get it out of your life. And here's why I believe he wants you to do that. Jot this down, number two. Bitterness is destructive. Bitterness is destructive. It will literally destroy your life. Let's go back to Hebrews. If I can find my passage here. might take me a second because I lost it. Yeehaw! Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the second part of it, it says, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Watch out so that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. It means that the root will take hold and it will destroy you. It's going to trouble you. It's going to cause destruction in your life. And so I started thinking about that. Like, I'm a vision, I'm a vision guy. Like, I want to see things. You know, I, I want to use my imagination to like, okay, how, what, what can I see? What can I envision to make this click and understand this? And for whatever reason, the Lord sent me to some pictures that I'm about to show you, but it helped click. It helped make my sense, make sense to me because here's the deal. The root is not actually trouble by itself. All right. The root of bitterness is actually not what causes all the damage if it's cut off. The problem is, is when that root sits there. And so here's the image that the Lord led me to. Have you ever taken a potato 
and sat it in a, a bucket or a bowl or a cup or whatever it may be of water and left it there for any extended amount of time, right? You know what happens? You don't even have to put it in water, honestly. You can just leave it on the counter. But, but I want you to look at these two pictures. I'm going to show them to you right here. So here's two potatoes. You got two different pictures. They're sitting in water and look at what's coming out of them. They've been in this water for an amount of time. And now this root has taken hold. It's gotten deeper. It's sprouted. And now you have this entire plant that is literally coming out of this potato that is going to produce fruit. And that fruit is going to, to basically come out of the roots of that, of that, whatever it is. So the potato, basically, in this case. Here's what I want you to hear. You can take those off the screen. Here's what I want you to hear. Listen. What happens when someone does us wrong, the root of bitterness wants to immediately sink in, and we have a choice. Do we forgive or do we not? And when you don't forgive, we literally, our heart is filled with unforgiveness, and this potato, if you will, sits in this water, sits in this cup, this bitterness sits in a heart that is filled with unforgiveness, and guess what happens? It sprouts, it takes hold, it takes root, and what comes out of that is a bitter plant. What comes out of that is a bitter fruit. And and the author of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrews who knew that basically a bitter root or a bitter plant meant that it was poisonous. And so it's, it's destructive when we choose not to forgive because bitterness, the root of it, sits inside of this unforgiveness. And what happens is it poisons us from the inside out. It is destructive and it will ruin your life, literally. There have been studies on, on, on basically the physical uh, and tangible symptoms and issues that come from unforgiveness and bitterness in someone's life. And they're drastic. Like, like I'm talking about anxiety. I'm talking about depression. I'm talking about high blood pressure. I'm talking about not being able to sleep. Like it will literally destroy your life and it will guide you in a place that you do not want to go. And so this is what I love about about God's word. Again, it's a problem and a solution. We can choose to not allow this root of bitterness to sit in a heart of unforgiveness by forgiving. Forgiveness and bitterness can't live in the same home. We have a choice. If we forgive, bitterness goes away. If we don't, bitterness resides. And you have a choice. When someone does you wrong, when someone has hurt you or hurt your family or whatever it may be, what do I do? I go back to Ephesians and I get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all evil behaviors, all slander, all harsh words. And instead, I forgive the way that I've been forgiven. I'm telling you, it will destroy your life. The last thing I'll say about this, and I think about this uh, from my medical experience and medical background and, and this isn't 100% across the board, but the percentage is very high. The physical body, when it, it, we were designed, if you don't know this, to, to fight off infections, right? Like our body has been designed by God in all of its detail for when bacteria or viruses or whatever it is enter, enter into our body, our body is created with, a thing, created with a thing called an immune system that is created to fight it off, okay? Here's what happens though. When the body is in a place that is unhealthy, an infection or virus or bacteria or whatever it is enters the body, 
The body has a much harder time fighting off this bacteria or this infection, this poison, if you will, and it typically gets taken down. When the body is healthy, it enters, it fights it off, you feel bad for a few days, and then you're right back on track because the body has done what it was supposed to do because the body was in a place of good health. You want to you know when bitterness has its most vulnerability, if you will, or the body is most vulnerable, the, the bitterness has its, its highest likelihood of taking root in your heart, it's when you are unhealthy spiritually. When you have been not spending time, when you've not spent time with God, when you've not been communing with God, you've not been in the presence of God, you've not been in His Word, you've not been praising, you've not been praying, you've not been worshiping, you haven't spent, there's this disconnect that you've created in your relationship with God, and you are unhealthy spiritually. And I'll just tell you right now, if you don't know what that looks like, if this is the only hour that you spend in the Word of God is right here, you're unhealthy. Okay? If I only eat one meal a week, I'm unhealthy. And so it's so much easier for the enemy to take advantage of us when we are spiritually unhealthy and allow something that happens in our life. Guess what? We're going to be hurt by people. There are going to be wrong things that are going to happen in our life. And the state of our spiritual health is going to determine how much or how little that bitterness takes root in our life. Let's stay healthy so that our immediate response is, you know what? I've been walking with the Lord. And you know what I just read this morning? I read that the Lord forgave me, not seven times, but seven times 70, meaning he forgives me over and over again. And even though that person, oh my gosh, they hurt me. It was so wrong. It was the most disastrous thing that's happened to my family. Because I'm healthy spiritually, because I'm walking with the Lord, I'm going to forgive them the way that I've been forgiven. That is where the Lord wants us. We've got to stay healthy. Because I'm telling you, bitterness is destructive. And bitterness, it always seems justifiable. The last thing that I'll share is this. And uh, I'm going to just spend a few minutes here because I want to do something a little bit different um, than we have in a while, at least at the end. But here's the third thing. Bitterness impacts those around you. Bitterness impacts those around you. Look back at that verse again, verse 15 in Hebrews chapter 12. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, comma, corrupting many. Corrupting many. All right, before we talk about the corrupting many, let me just throw this out, all right, in case you haven't thought about this. It's very, very unlikely. Again, it can happen. Nine times out of 10, the person that you are bitter towards is rarely impacted by your bitterness, right? Which it doesn't even make sense, especially if we circle back around to the beginning to where the reason that we're bitter is because we want them to have to pay. We want them to have justice or, you know, face justice. We want vengeance on this person, but yet they are the least concerned with where we are in life right? Like they're dancing, we're mourning. And we're holding on to this bitterness thinking that it's going to impact somebody else, the person who's wronged us, and it hasn't, okay? Again, that's not 100% across the board, but most of the time, the person that you're bitter towards has no regards to how you feel, okay? But 
You take that a step further and let's actually look at who it does impact. You think about a while ago the destruction that takes place, the the poisonous fruit that comes out of our life. In this perspective that we have, the, the, the aspect that bitterness comes from the fact that a human being has hurt us. And so we, we, we move forward in life based off of previous experiences. And so now we've been hurt by a human being. We've been hurt by someone and we will begin to stereotype them. Okay, well, I was hurt by a middle-aged, you know, guy or, or, or you know, whatever. And, and from that, that day forward, our perspective begins to shift on how we view people who fit in that same category. And because we've been hurt by someone, it minimizes greatly the aspect of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion that we want to show towards people because we've been hurt by people. And so, and so it impacts. It will impact the way that you live your life in your marriage. It will impact the way that you treat your spouse. It will impact the way that you treat your kids. It will impact the way that you treat your coworkers. It will impact the way that you live every aspect of your life because a root of bitterness has taken hold and it becomes poisonous. And the fruit of that is poison. And if you bear a, a, a fruit that is poisonous, you think it's not going to impact the people that are closest to you, the people that are around you? I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk around saying that I'm a follower of Christ, saying that I'm a Christian, saying that I want to pursue him with all of my life with poisonous fruit hanging from my life. Like that impacts people, right? Especially when we're out to try to reach the lost and get people saved and God people to life in Christ. And someone says, oh, you're a Christian? (laughs) Well, you got bitterness and all this poisonous fruit off your life just like me. We're looking good. It corrupts them, as the word says. It impacts us and people around us in the most negative way. As I think about, as I think about what God would want, obviously forgiveness, but forgiveness is the first step in something bigger. And here's what it is. I believe the heart of God in our situations, in our relationships to where bitterness is in our heart, we're bitter towards someone else. I believe God's end result for that is that he desires reconciliation. He desires reconciliation. Look, look at that verse. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those that are not holy will not see the Lord. Again, the Hebrews who were the audience of this, they understood that before they got ready to worship, before they got ready to go into the temple and get ready to pray and get ready to praise, they had to purify themselves. They couldn't go in with sin in their hearts. They had to purify so that they could experience the holiness of God. And I don't know about you, I don't want to allow bitterness to come into my life and impact me to where I miss out on the holiness of God. And so he wants us to reconcile. And here's the deal. I think that the the ultimate solution, honestly, if it is acceptable and possible and safe, is that both parties come together in reconciliation. But I also know that that's not always possible. And so I believe that there is still an aspect because we will use that as an excuse. Well, that person doesn't want to reconcile or you don't understand what's been done to me. You don't understand. There's no way I can face this person. I get that. And that is perfectly okay. But you cannot neglect reconciliation in your own life and in your own heart based off the actions of someone else. And so if you can reconcile with both parties, do it. If you can't, reconcile everything that you can in your own heart so that you don't miss out on the holiness of God. Like, let us desire reconciliation. 
And it comes from a heart of forgiveness. Forgiveness and bitterness, they can't reside in the same home. Let's be forgiving and not bitter. I want to share with you a story um, that comes from a book that is called The Little House off the, off the Interstate, or excuse me, Off the Freeway. And it's from Dr. Tim Keller. And I'm, I don't know that I've ever, I've read excerpts or little pieces from stories before, but I've never read one this long. And so it's going to take me a few minutes to read this. But, uh, I, I, and I wrestle with this. I'm like, I can't end my message like this. But uh, I'm going to read this to you. Um, and I want you to just listen to this story. And I want you to listen to the aspect of bitterness, the aspect of forgiveness, and the aspect of reconciliation that takes place. But above all that, I want you to understand how big and mighty and powerful our God is. He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He makes a way where there is no way. And a lot of times we're bitter from something that has happened 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And we have accepted that as normal. And we've accepted it as normal because we believe that it cannot be changed. And I want you to understand that our God can change anything that He desires. But He needs a heart that is filled with forgiveness and a desire for reconciliation so that He can move like only He can. All right, I'm going to read this to you. Here we go. It says, Shortly after the turn of the century, Japan invaded, conquered, and occupied Korea. Of all their oppressors, Japan was the most ruthless. They overwhelmed the Koreans with a brutality that would sicken the strongest of stomachs. Their crimes against women and children were inhumane. Many Koreans live today with the physical and emotional scars from the Japanese occupation. One group singled out for concentrated oppression was the Christians. When the Japanese army overpowered Korea, one of the first things they did was board up the evangelical churches and eject most foreign missionaries. It has always fascinated me how people fail to learn from history. Conquering nations have consistently felt that shutting up churches would shut down Christianity. It didn't work in Rome when the church was established, and it hasn't worked since. Yet somehow, the Japanese thought they would have a different success record. The conquerors started by refusing to allow churches to meet and jailing many of them and the key Christian spokesmen. The oppression intensified as the Japanese military increased its profile in the South Pacific. The land of the rising sun spread its influence through a reign of savage brutality. Anguish filled the hearts of the oppression, kindled hatred deep in their souls. One pastor persistently entreated his local Japanese police chief for permission to meet for services. His nagging was finally accommodated, and the police chief offered to unlock his church for one meeting. It didn't take long for word to travel. Committed Christians starving for an opportunity for unhindered worship quickly made their plans. Long before dawn on that promised Sunday, Korean families throughout a wide area made their way to the church. They passed the staring eyes of their Japanese captors, but nothing was going to steal their joy. As they closed the doors behind them, they shut out the cares of oppression and shut in a burning spirit anxious to glorify their Lord. The Korean church has always had a reputation as a singing church. Their voices of praise could not be concealed inside the wooden, little wooden frame sanctuary. Song after song rang through the open windows into the bright Sunday morning. For a handful of peasants listening nearby, the last two songs that this congregation sang seemed suspended in time. 
It was during a stanza of Nearer My God to Thee that the Japanese police chief waiting outside gave the orders. The people toward the back of the church could hear them when they barricaded the doors. But no one realized they had doused the church with kerosene until they smelled the smoke. The dried wooden skin of the small church quickly ignited. Fumes filled the structure as tongues of flame began to lick the baseboard of the interior walls. There was an immediate rush for the windows, but momentary hope recoiled in horror as the men climbing out the windows came crashing back in, their bodies ripped by a hell of bullets. The good pastor knew it was the end. With the calm that comes from confidence, he led his congregation in a hymn whose words served as a fitting farewell to earth and a loving salutation to heaven. The first few words were all the prompting the terrified worshipers needed. With smoke burning their eyes, they instantly joined as one to sing their hope and leave their legacy. Their song became a serenade to the horrified and helpless witnesses outside. Their words also tugged at the hearts of the cruel men who oversaw this flaming execution of the innocent. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Just before the roof collapsed, they sang the last verse, their words and eternal testimony to their faith. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. The strains of music and wells of children were lost in a roar of flames. The elements that once formed bone and flesh mixed with the smoke and dissipated into the air. The bodies that once housed life fused with the charred rubble of a building that once housed a church. But the souls who left singing finished their course in the throne room of God. Clearing the incinerated remains was the easy part. Erasing the hate would take decades. For some of the relatives of the victims, this carnage was too much. Evil had stooped to a new low, and there seemed to be no way to curb their bitter loathing of the Japanese. In the decades that followed, that bitterness was passed on to a new generation. The Japanese, although conquered, remained a hated enemy. The monument the Koreans built at the location of the fire not only memorialized the people who died, but stood as a mute reminder of their pain. Inner rest, how could rest coexist with a bitterness deep as marrow in the bones? Suffering, of course, is a part of life. People hurt people. Almost all of us have experienced it at some time. Maybe you felt it when you came home to find that your spouse had abandoned you, or when your integrity was destroyed by a series of well-timed lies, or when your company was bled dry by a business partner. It kills you inside. Bitterness clamps down on your soul like iron shackles. The Korean people who found it too hard to forgive could not enjoy the peace that surpasses all understanding. Hatred choked their joy. It wasn't until 1972 that any hope came. A group of Japanese pastors traveling through Korea came upon the memorial. When they read the details of the tragedy and the names of the spiritual brothers and sisters who had perished, they were overcome with shame. Their country had sinned, and even though none of them were personally involved, they still felt a national guilt that could not be excused. They returned to Japan committed to right or wrong. There was an immediate outpouring of love from their fellow believers. They raised $25,000 and the money was transferred through proper channels and a beautiful white church building was erected on the site of the tragedy. 
When the dedication service for the building was held, a delegation from Japan joined the relatives and special guests. Although their generosity was acknowledged and their attempts at making peace appreciated, the memories were still there. Hatred preserves pain. It keeps the wounds open and the hurts fresh. The Koreans' bitterness had festered for decades. Christian brothers or not, these Japanese were descendants of a ruthless enemy. The speeches were made, the details of the tragedy recalled, and the names of the dead honored. It was time to bring the service to a close. Someone in charge of the agenda thought it would be appropriate to conclude with the same two songs that were sung the day the church was burned. The song leader began with the words, To nearer my God to thee. But something remarkable happened as the voices mingled on the familiar melody. As the memories of the past mixed with the truth of the song, resistance started to melt. The inspiration that gave hope to a doomed collection of churchgoers in a past generation gave hope once more. The song leader closed the service with the hymn at the cross. The normally stoic Japanese could not contain themselves. The tears that began to fill their eyes during the song suddenly gushed from deep inside. They turned to their Korean spiritual relatives and begged them to forgive. The guarded, calloused hearts of the Koreans were not quick to surrender. But the love of the Japanese believers, unintimidated by decades of hatred, tore at the Koreans' emotions. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. One Korean turned toward a Japanese brother, then another. And the floodgates holding back a wave of emotion let go. The Koreans met their new Japanese friends in the middle. They clung to each other and wept. Japanese tears of repentance and Korean tears of forgiveness intermingled to bathe the sight of an old nightmare. Heaven had sent the gift of reconciliation to a little white church in Korea. I don't know about you, but that tears my heart up, man. And it's the power of the gospel of Jesus that reconciles hatred, that reconciles bitterness, that leads us from a place of bitterness to a place of forgiveness, that leads people from a place of wrongdoing to a place of repentance. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, where my burden was rolled away. Church, there's a burden in your heart that's rooted in bitterness. And you need to take it to the foot of the cross. You need to take it to the place where your light went from darkness to light, from death to life, where life was paid for on a cross. That's exactly where we need to take our bitterness and we need to leave it so that we can understand forgiveness and we can resolve and lead to reconciliation. He's a way maker. He's a promise keeper. He's a light in the darkness. So I want you to respond right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity. The last thing and the worst thing that you could do is walk away from this time that we have together without dealing, without praying, without handling or asking or taking this bitterness that's in your heart before the Father. And so Pastor Brandon and Alyssa are going to come back on and they're going to lead us in a song. And you have really two choices to respond. You can do what you want, but 
The first one would be just lift your hands and worship and allow Pastor Brandon and Alyssa to sing over you and lead you into the presence of God. The second one would be get on your face, literally. If you're on the couch, get on your knees. If you're beside your bed, get on your knees. Whatever you need to do to do business with God, to deal with this bitterness that you think is justifiable, that is essentially destroying you and the people that are around you, today is the day that you get rid of it at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. My burden was rolled away. Let's spend some time praying together and dealing with this bitterness. We make miracle work. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Oh, say, we make a miracle work, a promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Say, we make a miracle work. Father, we're so thankful for this time that we have together. We're so thankful for this time that we have to respond to you. God, we're so thankful that this isn't just a church service that we sit in. It's not just a message that we listen to. But it's a truth and an encounter that we respond to. 
And when we respond to that, it transforms our lives from the inside out. God, I pray for every individual at the sound of my voice, the bitterness that is inside of their hearts. God, I pray that you would just bathe it with forgiveness, that you would fill their hearts with a compassion and a love and an overflowing level of forgiveness that is outpouring in their life. God, I pray for reconciliation. I pray that you would lead us to a place to where we reconcile as it starts with the heart that is filled with forgiveness. To Lord, we can represent and model and be an example of the love of you, Lord, so the people around us may see it. So that not only does it no longer destroy us, but it lifts others up and encourages them as well. And it leads them closer to you by watching the way that we live our lives. God, there's no greater testimony than for us to offer forgiveness when we've been wronged. Whether it's small or whether it's the most disastrous, enormous thing that you could possibly imagine in life. When we forgive the way that you forgive and the way that you've forgiven us, we live our lives on display for who you are. Lord, lead us into that. Help us. God, I pray right now, if there's anybody at the sound of my voice who doesn't have a relationship with you, that they will understand that they have been forgiven much and that they have had their sins paid for on the cross on Calvary's Hill. And they would understand that that sin has separated them without that payment and that their Savior's name is Jesus Christ and that they surrender their life to you right now by the drawing and the prompting of the Holy Spirit that is stirring in their heart, that they would respond. God, I pray that you help us. Lead us as a church. Lead us as a body of Christ. Lead us as followers of you, Lord, to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys.